You are listening to That'll Preach. This is Brian. I'm here with Paul back live in the studio, continuing our series on the book of Orthodoxy. Just kidding. The book called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Great classic work by a great author. We've been working our way through each of the chapters. We're going to look at chapter seven today. But if you haven't checked out the series yet, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you can see our prior episodes. You can follow along. You can get it yourself. Paul just informed me that there's a free online version, a PDF that you can get of G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. Wonderful. But I have it in hard copy because, uh, although this is kind of strange, actually, because I actually have all my books on Kindle. Your whole life is online. Yeah. At the mercy of Amazon, which mm. I don't know if it's, that's a smart thing to do. But uh, I, I, don't know, I, just, I don't like carrying books around. You know what I mean? It's, it's painful and you get... It's painful to move. Yep. <laughs> How many do you have? How many books do you have? Like a thousand. Oh my gosh. Just was, strewn all over the country. Yeah, you, you were telling me about that, how like your books are in like boxes and different people. Different it, friends all across have, the world. Have your books in storage. It's yeah. like, they're like your little uh, <laughs> offshore accounts or something. That's right. That's exactly it. It's That's like my it Swiss bank of books. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll cast a spell and then the books will like Hop come to back. life and just hobble over back to you. Like the, the Sword in the Stone, that old Disney movie. We're like Merlin cast the stone and all the books yeah, are like doing that their up. little dance. Sword in the Stone. That reminds me of Fantasia. Is it? That's also a Disney movie. Wait, is that the, is that the liberal one? <laughs> there was, there was a Disney movie. <laughs> the liberal one? They're all liberal, Paul. It's Disney. <laughs> no, my Christian school, there was a Disney movie that they didn't let us watch. I think it was Fantasia or yeah. Was it? I don't know. Oh no, this is not, there's one with like a creepy skull guy. It's like the, the black something you're thinking of pirates of the caribbean no you're thinking of nightmare ha halloween town what's it called night the skeleton guy oh man pull it up what Jamie. what are you talking about uh what is it it is <laughs> you just pulled up a list yeah every of all single the Disney movies Disney ever movie published ever published <laughs> that's hilarious come on which one would it be it would be uh Oh, the Black Cauldron. What? I've never see. heard of this. There's the, there's this bad guy in the Black Cauldron. I actually haven't seen the movie. I've just seen clips of this. The Black Cauldron. This is a kid's movie? This is a movie that your your peers were watching when you were a child? Yeah. Oh, look at this freaky... Holy... Skeleton oh, demon guy. That's that's in the movie? Yeah, it's in the movie. That's horrifying. There's yeah, no way that made it into a Disney film. It's actually kind of a cool... I mean... We should post Design. that in the, in the, in the yeah. show description. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's just terrifying. Nightmare fuel. I know. Gosh. Not not PG. So you watched this as a kid? I actually didn't. I actually saw it. Uh, I don't know how I saw it. but It I, appeared to you in a dream. I, I didn't watch the movie. <laughs> I just saw a clip of it. I was like, what is this freaky bad guy? And that terrified you. Mm -hmm. It was a cool design, though. I thought there were I thought like, good. Disney movies were kind of creepy. Have you seen The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Like, some part, parts that's of it. Horrifying. I don't watch a lot of movies. I mean, honest. that's probably for the best. And old Disney was like creepy. Fantasia, though, they had the the demon monster. Like I don't that know. shoots like the little flames become like dancing creatures. I think. That's. I mean, this might just be like a weird dream I had or an acid trip or something. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't do that. Night. I don't do that stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little dancing flames. Yeah. Exactly. That's exciting. Um, but speaking about how was uh, that relevant? What were we talking about? I don't know. We were talking about oh your oh, books, the books, books dancing around. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, a thousand books. Huh? And, you, and you've, you've read how many of them? You said like seventy five percent. Seventy five percent. Yeah, seven hundred and fifty books. Huh? 
Well, I mean, I've read more than that. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I have to defend my honor here. I've read more than that. Those are just of the ones that that's I That's a lot of books, though. Even just 750. But it's like, if that's your full-time job. And I've been reading from, like, from yeah. the womb. <laughs> you <laughs> I just, like, came out you reading, reading the book. From, you, you, you're born and you read, like, the doctor's report. <laughs> and I have to, like, correct him. Yeah, you're like, like you misspelled these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many uh, books do you have? I don't know. I mean. Your, your library is pretty tiny. I was thinking about that today. Well, I don't buy, like. I know. Your physical library is tiny. Yeah. And uh, I've got, in my Kindle, I've got 631 books. Okay. Kindle. And you I've probably got. read most of those. Yeah. I mean, some of them are reference <laughs> yeah. books. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I just I just look at the pictures. <laughs> um, by the way, which makes Calvin's Institutes really boring because there's no pictures. No. If you're buying theology books with pictures, they're probably not worth reading. <laughs> that's That's my hot take. There you go. Let's get to orthodoxy. So chapter seven is called the eternal revolution. Hmm. And it seems like Chesterton here, he's building on his prior arguments about being skeptical of skepticism mm -hmm. and really kind of flipping the script on people who are kind of bashing Christianity, thinking it's illogical. And he's saying that actually the, the, they're, a lot of their, they're not seeing their own contradictions and hypocrisies. Yeah. And here in the Eternal Revolution, he's talking about progressivism mm -hmm. and a little bit about conservatism, but but the idea of like continual progress. Yeah, you know how over time we're getting better and better, that kind of thing. Yeah, and he's questioning that thesis, questioning mm -hmm. that idea, because as it relates to Christianity, the idea is that we're progressing more and more away from Christianity toward right. this more sort of enlightened state. Um, but what he notices is he goes, well, first of all, if you're going to say that we're progressing and we're getting better, that implies a standard. Right. Right. Yeah. He says uh, there is no equality in nature. There is also no inequality in nature. Inequality as much as equality implies a standard of value. So basically mm. he's saying if you're going to make moral judgments that we have gotten better. Yeah. Better implies we're closer to a good thing. Right. Um, and. That itself is a judgment. So it's like, well, what's the standard? What's right. the standard to which you're measuring progress? Yeah. And he finds that once you remove really the Christian worldview or you remove any kind of transcendent standard, you have no standard. So how can you say that you're progressing? You have right. no measuring stick. Yeah. So it can't just be the progress. It can't just be the progression itself is good. It has to be that you think there's, there's a movement away from something to something else. Yeah, what do you mean by making something better? Right. What 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 is it that you're moving towards? It can't just be that like change by itself or progression by itself is the good thing. So he says reform implies form. It implies that we are trying to shape the world in a particular image to make it something that we see already in our minds. So any any notion of progress or reforming society, yeah, it's part of the word. Reform means form, like there's structure. Like you think that there is a structure ideally and we're not meeting that structure. And so there's always an image or a concept or a picture of what you think the world should look like or what values are supposed to be instantiated. And when you change the world, you're trying to move it closer to that image. So you, basically, there's no uh, value-free um, conception of progress. Like it has to be essentially, you're, you're taking a stand on what truth is, what goodness looks like, all these sorts of things. He talks about how uh, you can't assume that the mere passage of time brings superiority. Mm. And it's kind of like C.S. Lewis's uh, chronological snobbery, thinking yeah. that just because 
you believe something now or that modern sensibilities are automatically better than back in yeah. the day or something yeah. like that. And uh, he actually takes a shot at Nietzsche. He does that several times. He's taking shots at everyone. It's true. Yeah. He takes another shot at Nietzsche where people are saying that Nietzsche is this strong and bold thinker and he's kind of talking about the death of God and he's denying God and, and all these types of things. Mm. He seems so strong and he makes everything about will. Mm. And, um, but he says, actually, uh, Nietzsche is he's, he's speaking in terms of will rather than morality. Yeah. So he doesn't say it's the better man, it's the overman, mm. right? And then he says that, interestingly enough, Nietzsche is avoiding talking about morality because he's weak. Yeah. If he were truly strong, he would talk in moral terms with yeah. moral clarity. Yeah. If he were truly strong, he would say that there are actual moral standards that are objective. Rather than recognize that he's assuming that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's actually showing that Nietzsche's not as strong as he thinks he is, mm. which is kind of like the last chapter where he's like, Christianity actually takes more courage. Yes. Like you think, oh, you're a skeptic, you're an atheist. It takes more courage to look into the barren wasteland and say, this is the way it is. When actually that's cowardice. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he flips it on its, on its head. Um, but again, it's that idea of a standard where he's saying even Nietzsche believes that there's some kind of, or, or rather he's, he's too weak to believe in those objective kind of truths in that, yeah. in that standard. I like when he, he so on that same no, he thinks that modern progressives, and progressives here, he's talking about liberals, but he's also talking about just sort of this more abstract category of people who think that just by virtue of time passing on, just by virtue of things changing, we're moving in the right direction. But his, his criticism is this, um, here comes the whole collapse and huge blunder of our age. We have mixed up two different things. Progress should mean that we are always changing the world to suit the vision, progress does mean that we are always changing. Progress means now that we are just changing the vision. <laughs> it should mean that we are slow but sure in bringing justice and mercy among men. It does mean that we are very swift in doubting the desirability of justice and mercy. A wild page from a Prussian sophist makes men doubt it. Progress should mean that we are always walking towards the new Jerusalem, but today it means that the new Jerusalem is always walking away of us walking away from us. We are not altering the real to suit the ideal. We are altering the ideal for that is easier. Hmm. So previously, I mean, or the, the, the conservative ancient mindset that he's defending here is one that says, we are explicit about our conception of what the ideal looks like. And we're trying to make society match that. And he thinks the modern progressive or the skeptic just demolishes the idea of the ideal and is just saying whatever it is that we make here in society, that's the best thing. So they're collapsing the transcendent to whatever is the case in society. So like it, it's, it's a radical inversion, but also it's one that in self implies a kind of ideal. Because if you're just collapsing it to what you're doing in society, you're, you've said that this is the ideal. Your vision is the ultimate standard for society. And you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. It's just, it's, it's not whether but which. Every time you make you propose change or reform, you're doing so because you think something is lacking and your conception of it is better. Like that's just intrinsic to the nature of reform and social change. Well, it's kind of like he talks about the pessimist. The pessimist sees through everything except through himself. Mm. He distrusts everyone except for his own opinion of everybody. Yeah. Um, the person who's always looking for change is the one who's locked into a constant cycle of change. Mm. <laughs> you know, so you can't avoid these things and it's sort of like a way that we try to seek our autonomy or try to get out of ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like trying to see your own eyes, you know, <laughs> something like that. Like it's, yeah. it, we, we can't do it. We can't remove ourselves from the equation. 
Um, and so, but I like how he talks about how uh, if he altered a blade, so he says, um, he's talking about uh, the idea of it's easier to change your ideals rather than try to strive toward them. Mm, the the right? blueness, but, yeah. But whatever you change your ideal to, you're, you're still having an ideal. Right. Right. It's just. You've just changed you've it just again changed and again it, right? and again. Yeah. He says, uh, if a man alters a blade of grass to his favorite color every day, he would get on slowly. But if he altered his favorite color every day, he would not get on at all. So it's the idea, it's, it's this larger illustration of if a guy tries to make a whole world of blue, mm -hmm. so he would work with every blade of grass. Right. Well, at least he has, a, he has a fixed idea. I want the world to be blue. Right. And he can get to the daily work of making each blade of grass blue. It might mm -hmm. take a while, but he's at least going to get somewhere. Right. But if every day he just keeps changing what color it is, mm -hmm. he actually doesn't get anywhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so he's kind of saying that a constant revolution in thought, a constant changing, not conserving, not actually building upon foundations. Mm. We're just spinning around. We're not mm. actually getting anything done. Mm. And it's better to conserve and plod in a particular direction than to give the illusion of progress when we just change the standard. Yeah, yeah I mean, you could think about the ideal would be people would be married for life mm -hmm. and raise kids and whatever. Yeah. That's the standard. Well, that starts to break down. And instead of going, let's get back to that standard, we go, well, let's just redefine marriage and redefine divorce and, read, and all these types of things. And let's, yeah. let's say that there's many different ways you can have this arrangement, you know, and devalue marriage and have uh, sex outside of marriage and all these types of things. You just lower the standard. Mm. You change the standard and say that old one was bad instead of going, it's, it's much easier to do that, mm. to shift the goalposts than to try to actually, you know, achieve the ideal. And, and Chesterton would even say that there's something okay with that if you move the goalposts once. Hmm. But like right, right, the, right. the true progressive is one who keeps saying, we just keep moving the goalposts. We don't really have a, a, like a stable conception of what we think the good life looks like. Right. And so this is why he says, as long as the vision of heaven is always changing, the vision of earth will be exactly the same. No ideal will remain long enough to be realized or even partly realized. The modern young man will never change his environment for he will always change his mind. This, therefore, is our first requirement about the ideal towards which progress is directed. It must be fixed. So even if you disagree with me about what the ideal is, even if you are moving the goalposts, that's fine if you move it once. But if your idea is we have to keep moving it, that yeah. just by virtue of progress itself is just change, that is an insane position. Right. Because you don't actually change society. Because change isn't necessarily bad. Right. Right. I mean, there is a sense of progress, but you want a progress that's rooted in conserving what is good. Or you want right. to progress. That's the whole idea. He's saying it's you not. You have to stop the goalpost somewhere. Right. Or rather, he's, he's saying that progress is good if you have a fixed point of what you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. Right. So the issue isn't. Uh, moving forward, it's it's where are we moving forward? Towards? It can't just be, I want to change the past. Right. That's what Chesterton's saying. You can't just say, I want to get away from what's past. Right. He's going to say, what are you moving towards? It's, it's what's the ideal? Yeah. It's kind of like people, it's like, I know what I'm against. Right. I'm not really sure what I'm for. Right. You know? Because then if that's just your view, you're not actually going to change anything. You're just going to keep moving the goalposts and reality, like you have no stable conception of what the good life is or what reality should look like. So makes me think about our obsession with kind of ideas and you know, I, I guess it's so popular to talk about social media and how it's eroding ourselves. But he had this one phrase where he talks about uh, um, the man we see every day, the worker at Mr. Gadgrind's factory, the little, Kirk, uh, the little clerk in Mr. Gadgrind's office. He is too mentally worried to believe in freedom. He is kept quiet with revolutionary literature. He is calmed and kept in his place by constant succession of wild philosophies. He's a Marxian one day, a Nietzscheite the next day, a Superman probably the next day, and a slave 
every day. The only thing that remains after all the philosophy is the factory. I thought this was good. Because mm. he's saying he's just filling his ideas with revolutionary ideas and ideals and talking, yeah. you know, at coffee shops about mm -hmm. these abstract things. And it's a trap because yeah. he never actually does anything. Yeah. He never actually sticks with something. He's just always new ideas, always learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth mm. kind of thing. Yeah. And people, you see that all the time. People love talking about ideas, ideas, talking about it. And that's a good, good point and flipping their ideas and, but like being so open-minded that you never actually set a course. Right. <clears throat> and he's saying that that's dangerous. Yeah. And that what we're trying to conserve are, we're trying to have a fixed point of reference. We're trying to have a North Star so we can actually get somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you want real progress, you need a fixed destination. Right. Right now, you can change that destination. I mean, he's not saying yeah, yeah, yeah. being overly rigid, but like you said, it's, it becomes its own end in and of itself right. to shift the, the, the destination over itself. and over again. Right, right. right. So he, he's... He's taking a dig at, at, at progress, progressivism, where he sees the progressivism as this idea. It's not that he's never, he's not saying that we shouldn't ever change the past, right? And then so he, there's a couple of places where he even explicitly talks about the ways that humanity has been sinful in the past. He's not saying that progress is bad. He's saying that if you want progress, have a conception of what it is towards, and you can't just have your philosophy be, we need to get away from tradition. We need to get away from the way things currently are without a positive vision of what's going forward. So he, he takes that dig at progressivism, but he also equally on the other hand says things like, man may have had concubines as long as cows have had horns. Still, they are not a part of him if they are sinful. Men may have been under oppression ever since fish were underwater. Still, they ought not to be if oppression is sinful. The chain may seem as natural to the slave or the paint to the harlot, as does the plume to the bird or the burrow to the fox. Still, they are not if they are sinful. So slavery, um, concubinage, oppression, they might have been part and parcel of human existence right. from the start. Conservatism doesn't necessarily mean we take everything as it is and never change. Progress is part and parcel of conservatism, so long as you're conserving what's natural in the sense of this is part of our human nature and not part of our sinful nature. And progress has to have a conception that this thing is actually sinful, so we're moving away from the sinful into the good thing, right? It's not just a movement away from the tradition. And that's why he's talking about approaching the new Jerusalem. Mm. The kingdom of God gives us this vision and ideal, ideal to strive toward so that we're not, we, we can change, but that we're changing it, in the right direction. It assumes things are not the way right. they ought to be. Right? Exactly. To have the ideal. Right. Mm -hmm. And he actually talks about how um, the, the only real reason for being a progressive is that things naturally tend to grow worse. Mm. The corruption in things is not the only best, is not only the best argument for being progressive, it is also the only argument against being conservative. The conservative theory would really be quite sweeping and unanswerable if it were not for this one fact. But all conservatism is based upon the idea that if you leave things alone, you leave them as they are. But you do not. If you leave a thing alone, you leave it to a torrent of change. If you leave a white post alone, it will soon become a black post. If you particularly want it to be white, you must always be painting it again. That is, you must always be having a revolution. Mm -hmm. So there he says, conservatism, if you go, we're going to conserve these things. Well, that doesn't mean that it goes into a stasis and it just stays that way forever. Mm. But... You conserve, conserving itself is an active effort. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to keep repainting a fence to keep it a certain color. Yeah. Right. You have to keep reinforcing the good things and maybe adapting them in new ways in order to preserve them. Mm -hmm. So he's not just saying be rigid traditionalists because oftentimes, you know, you end up, you end up just people a few generations later, they have no idea why, you know, you wanted that 
uh, fence painted a particular way at all right, or something right. like that. Or, or, I don't know how good the analogy yeah, goes, but, he, but yeah, yeah. He, he is saying, too, I, I like that idea of conserving is active. Mm. It's not passive. Yeah. And progression, he thinks, is the natural state of things in the sense that things left to their own devices rot, like fruit right. rots, things unravel, DNA right. unravels. Like when you put like something on a hill, it goes downhill. And so the, the natural tendency of natural objects is to become worse. So right. to keep structure requires like a sort of pulling back, a sort of effort, a sort of active presence or maintaining. And the, the, the progressive who thinks that nature moves naturally in the right direction has mm -hmm. just has failed to think about the way things naturally tend to occur in the world. Um, and so he's not, again, it's not sort of a blanket defense of everything that's happened in the past, but just this idea that it takes a lot of effort to maintain structure because things naturally de degenerate. And so this actually ties in nicely with the point about monotony and change from a few chapters ago, where he says that um, the reason why we should be impressed with monotony and constancy and God making all the daisies the same and the person who has, you know, he's habitually formed himself to be able to wake up every day and do the same sort of thing. Like, that is impressive. Like being, being able to conserve the same thing over time is impressive because we notice that things in their state of nature tend to degenerate. So the society that's always moving, the goalposts that are always moving, that should be a sign of degeneration, like something yeah, has unraveled, instability. Right. So conser conservation is, is a sign of vitality and life when you're conserving good things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to keep making sure that as you're conserving it, I, I guess you're, you're adapting it and making sure it's strengthened over time. You can't just right let it go it's not just about setting up a fence it's about cultivating the garden right within it yeah right and, and keeping, keeping the fence intact keeping the, the fence right, right. intact um i love what he says here he says that um uh so again we have almost up to the last instant so he, wait, wait, let's see in the same way in england in the 19th century the radical manufacturer was entirely trusted as a mere tribune of the people until suddenly we heard the cry of the socialists that he was a tyrant eating the people like bread. So again, we have almost up to the last instant trusted the newspapers as organs of public opinion. Just recently, some of us have seen, not slowly, but with a start, that they are obviously nothing of the kind. They are but, they are by nature of the case, the hobbies of a few rich men. Hmm. <laughs> so rich people control the media, is what he tries to say. He, he has some harsh words to say about rich people towards the end He's there. very anti-corporation. He is. Anti-corporation, anti... Anti like richness in a sort of qualified sense. Yeah. Uh, he said the whole case for Christianity is that a man who is dependent upon the luxuries of this life is a corrupt man, spiritually corrupt, politically corrupt, financially corrupt. There's one thing that Christ and all the Christian saints have said with a sort of savage monotony. They have said simply that to be rich is to be in peculiar danger of moral wreck. It is not, then he says, like pretty like strong, it is not demonstrably unchristian to kill the rich as violators of definable justice. Um, there you not, have it. He's not saying it's just. <laughs> he's just saying that like, it's not like obvious that um, this would be anti-Christian. If you can show that it's a matter of, of injustice. That's he probably made some enemies. Uh, he, oh yeah, he probably did. They um, really are, he says, uh, they are really right to be always suspecting human institutions. They are right not to put their trust in princes nor in any child of man. Hmm. So he's small government, <laughs> doesn't trust the media. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that that I guess that's one one way to take it. Yeah, but the, I mean the, I guess there's something to that. I think he oh, I think he's got a healthy dose of skepticism because it just he it is. goes to show that he's not a sucker. I mean he's not he's going at the skeptics, but he's also I think what what's what am I trying to say here? What I think is so fascinating about Chesterton is that he is almost like a guy who is a cynic mm. who has found Christianity. Like yeah. he has that same kind of wit, that same ability to see between the lines, mm -hmm. but it's like sanctified. And so he can actually go toe to toe with these cynics. Yeah. He knows their game. Yeah. And he can play it too. And I think that's why he's very, he's a formidable opponent, I think. Sanctified wit would be a great like rap name. It Give it is. up for your boy, Sanctified Wit. Wow. <laughs> Wow. It's, it's late in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love, I love just. Let's some, just some, move on quickly from yeah, that. I know. Let's forget that happened. Uh, he's got just a, a couple of the nice zingers that I took note of. Christianity, even when watered down, is hot enough to boil all modern society to rags. That's a great line. <laughs> the mere minimum of the church would be a deadly ultimatum to the world. For the whole modern world is absolutely based on the assumption that the rich are necessary, but that the rich are trustworthy, which for a Christian is not tenable. So he, yeah, he's, he's, he's got some digs at modernity, some digs at the rich. Um, he, I mean, he also says that uh, part of one way that uh, progressives go wrong is that they think that um, poverty or, or sin is due to economic conditions always. He says that's not a Christian idea, that sin is it's intrinsic to the heart of man and original sin. And this is, this is the exact reason why you can't just let society go on its own, because natural things deteriorate. And if you have human beings that have original sin in them, uh, you can't expect that they will naturally tend to make a, uh, a good flourishing sort of human society. It says, I've always maintained that men were naturally backsliders, that human virtue tended of its own nature to rust or to rot. Human beings go wrong, especially happy human beings. Um, if you were a philosopher, you would call it, as I do, the doctrine of original sin. You may call it the cosmic advance as much as you like. I call it what it is, the yeah. fall. <laughs> Brutal. Yep. He's got some great stuff. I mean, I this, it was, it's, it's like a more political chapter, but political in the sense of like, he's doing some political philosophy. And this way of thinking about political philosophy, I think is also, he's, he's defending tradition. He's defending ancient wisdom. He's defending thinking with the past. He's defending, okay, well, human, human beings have this nature that leads them to sin, leads them to vice. So we need structures in place that pull us back from that, conserving, structuring, retaining, maintaining all that sort of language. And we can't just be sort of like freebie hippies and just assume that if we let, if we take out all the fences, humans are going to flourish. And that's just not the right way to think about human nature. It's not the right way to think about politics, not the right way to think about society. And if you do that, you're sort of naive, is Chesterton's argument. And his project is really, he's working at different angles. He's making observations about the world. He's making mm. observations about history, about philosophy, theology, about psychology, how people act. Yeah. And he's making a comprehensive case. And he's not going, here are five arguments for God's existence. Mm -hmm. Here are five rebuttals to common critiques. He's zooming back and going, let's just like actually pay attention to the world. Yeah. And pay attention to how we think and how we act. Mm. And pay attention to history. Just, just pay attention. And you'll start to see that uh, things are not as clear cut and dry as skeptics would like to think they are. Yeah. Right. And that Christianity has a lot more power if you take it as a whole, as a composite, 
you know, as, as how it, how it sheds light on all these different areas of life. And then when you see that whole, you know, I, I think about this, a particular part of Christianity might be hard to swallow. You'd be like, I don't know if I believe that or whatever, but this entire picture is so compelling that I can say that that fits somehow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting way in thinking about apologetics. Even think about how our own faith is nourished, mm -hmm. where he's trying to give us the grand vision. And he's also saying, you know, like, I love what he does. Is he's, he's like, what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, okay. Maybe Christianity, is, you think that's weird about it. Well, what's the alternative? Right. If that wasn't true, what's the alternative? Is that mm -hmm. not as weird or as absurd? Yeah. You know, and, um, it's, it's easier to, to, to move away from something than it is to have a positive vision of what you should move towards. Right. And that's, that's, I think the main point he's making here that the progressive or the skeptic or whatever you want to call it is saying, we need to get rid of Christian mores and ideals. But Chesterton's response is like you said, what's the alternative? What are you moving towards? Are you just a fan? Like, is your philosophy just, let's just keep moving the goalposts or do you have something to offer us? And if you don't, then let's at least be cautious before we take down the fence. He gives a nice little uh, political theology. I mean, his, his political th theology it gets summed up basically in one line where he says, if our faith comments on government at all, its comment must be this, that the man should rule who does not think that he can rule. Uh, hmm. That was interesting. Yeah. And if you want to find a king, find the guy who doesn't want to be king or, or rather doesn't think he can. Yeah. He's talking about the humility of spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was a, a great little uh, comment there. Kind do, you, of, do you want to rule, Brian? Yes. Okay, so we shouldn't make you a ruler. Rather, we must crown the much more exceptional exceptional man who knows that he can't. So, you, you know, hubris is like the downfall of every ruler. Um, then he goes on to talk about how aristocracy is a sin. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, Aristocracy is not an institution. Aristocracy is a sin. Like you having like a ruling class. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally a very venial one. It is merely the drift or slide of men into a sort of natural pomposity and praise of the powerful, which is the most easy and obvious affair in the world. We definitely have a ruling class, I think, <laughs> in America. Yeah. And with politics and, you know, I love his limited government perspective. I'm just like, man. They are filled with a natural pomposity. Yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah. You know, mm. um, but uh, some good stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's he's very sharp, understands people. Um, just an absolute delight to read. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, make sure you guys pick up the book. Like we said, we'll be back next week as we continue our series. Uh, make sure you subscribe, share this with some friends, follow us on Instagram. That'll preach podcast is our handle and uh, send us a DM. Let us know what you think of the show. Make sure you leave a review as well. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>